0: Welcome to PR360, where every week the brightest minds in public relations, communications, and media discuss the topics and trends you need to know about. PR360 was produced in partnership with Global Results Communications. Now here's your host, Todd Perry.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to PR360. My guest today is Lisa Bufo the founder and CEO of the Cannabis Marketing Association. It's a member-based organization focused on education and best practices for industry marketers. Its ultimate goal is to, quote, rebrand cannabis at the national level. Lisa's worked in the cannabis industry since 2014. She started in commercial cultivation and has helped launch 10 cannabis startups for Canopy Boulder, the industry's first business accelerator in 2015. Uh, She's also an active speaker and an advisory board member of Cannabis Doing Good. So hello, Lisa, and welcome to PR360.
0: Hello, Todd, thank you so much for having me. Sure.
1: Is there anything I missed in your bio?
0: That's a pretty good short summary. Yeah, been working in cannabis for a while, and I educate about the plant and marketing in lots of different mediums and platforms. So without getting in the weeds, that is my expertise and what I like to talk about.
1: Okay, cool. Uh, I guess we'll start with the big one. Uh, the CMA, the Cannabis Marketing Association, said its big mission is to, quote, rebrand cannabis. Um, and so how do you want to change the perceptions surrounding the product?
0: Yes, thank you for that question. So ultimately, what we're trying to do is uh, bring a positive perception to cannabis and an authentic understanding about what it is and who its consumers are. We have had 80 plus years of propaganda and misinformation and lack of research. So the majority of information that's historically been out there, you know, what we were taught in our high school health classes is incorrect. So rebranding is one aspect of it, but ultimately the foundation is education. And we want education that is rooted in facts, and science, uh, which is an emerging field and what we're still learning, but one of the first steps to that is unlearning what you were told. Um, so we, and all, I should also note that almost all brands, if not all brands, ha- share that mission. Um, because in order to sell product and promote your products, people need to understand it and view it as a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the industry is sort of up against just that historical misinformation. Um, so marketing can't really happen if there is that, Stigma, if there is that misconception that is still out there. So, what we're working on as an industry and ourselves as an organization is busting those lies and sort of replacing that with truth and education. And we take, you know, the Cannabis Marketing Association, like you had mentioned, we're membership based. We really focus on the uh, education and strategy around marketing. But really, what I like to say is that good marketing is good storytelling. Mm-hmm. And so it's about telling the stories of these entrepreneurs, of the patients, of the consumers, and these brands. Why are these businesses being built? You know, what's happened? Why are we here from a legalization and political standpoint? Um, and what does that all mean for the bigger picture? So we as an organization work to empower businesses, knowing that businesses are the ones talking directly to the public and directly to the consumer. So we have this sort of rising tide, um, you know, raises all ships mentality where, where if we can help businesses do better and what they're doing and tell their stories, it's going to have a net positive impact on um, the, the bigger picture around cannabis and what it does.
1: Sometimes it's very hard to educate the public on a uh, product bes- because sometimes the messaging just doesn't stick and you have you you only have so much marketing you can put out there uh, does the CMA step up and then work on that kind of educational front so that people don't have to take that out of their marketing
0: as far as are we educating the public directly about what's going on in cannabis in the plant
1: yeah, correct. Like you know, you have like you know big dairy associations, right? Well, well, they'll go out there and say, "Hey, look, eggs are healthy for you," so that you know the specific farmers in their marketing don't have to be educating the public as well as selling their product.
0: Um, we're not there yet as an in, as an organization nor as an industry. I mean, we're a we're a start. If we're talking relative to the advertising world, we're a startup industry with a bunch of startups um, within it. So we're not um, doing that at this point, but also there's a degree to which, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit, we're limited to doing that because cannabis is still a schedule one controlled substance um, along with other drugs right now. So your options as far as communication and marketing with the public are greatly limited because of its classification, um, according to the federal government. So there is also this part of the challenge that we're up against is how do you connect with folks where they are and where they're consuming information when a lot of those channels aren't available to businesses and this industry because they will not advertise what is currently a Schedule One control substance or put out content on its behalf.
1: Got it. So how does regulation affect the specific messages that, you know, you guys can put out?
0: The regulations vary, but at the state and local level. And they are, from a marketing perspective, largely reflect what the alcohol industry has done Mm -hmm. Um, as far as what you can say, uh, the audience size, what the, you know, 21 plus um, and what the messaging can and can't be around it. And understandably, a lot of the driving force behind that, those regulations is to ensure that it's just adults who are seeing this content, um, which makes sense. So given that there are no federal guidelines and regulations, it depends on the state and it depends on the locale. And it does have, again, sort of the alcohol industry's regulations as a template. But those governments will make it either more strict or a little bit more loose, sort of depending on how um, friendly it is to, the canna- to cannabis politically and It's culture and interpretation of where it should be. And that can come down to some states allow billboards. Other states do not. Some states allow. um, And then there's like even more nuanced regulations about where they can be placed and what the messaging can be. So to answer that question, it really just depends on the state and where you are. There have been states that have not allowed there to be any um, like swag or promotional products for cannabis businesses. It can even get regulated to the point where. Uh, You can't show like a green cross or a green leaf, which are sort of universal symbols for at least understanding this is what the product is. Mm. So that being said, the best way to answer that is in context. But there is not a federal um, kind of policy or oversight because it is it is not federally lawful at this point in time.
1: Got it. So which state is the most strict? And, And then on the other hand, which is the most lenient?
0: Oh, that's easier asked than responded to Um, because again, it depends. And I would also just to add another layer to it, they are constantly changing. Um, So we've seen the regs change frequently, every few months, every six months, because all of this is new. So, you know, like Colorado, for example, when I started in 2014, it was the first state that had legalized anywhere so the regulators are learning just as quickly as the industry is regulating what they think is going to work versus what actually works, what is working as intended versus what may have unintended consequences. And then they sort of adjust and pivot as they go until a state reaches a sense of maturity and then things level out a little bit. Um, but in other ways, the states that started earlier, even though they have updated and um, you know, sort of gone through that process to a degree – they started a bit further back than some states who legalize later because the states that legalize later, like New York, for example, were able to learn from states like Colorado and California and take those lessons and sort of start their foundation based on that information. Um, so it, it really just depends and marketing is quite all encompassing. Um, I can't speak so much as far as, you know, the, some of the other regulations But I mean, marketing is packaging, it is branding and messaging, it is how available are channels to you. Um, So it it sort of just depends in context as far as your business. And then lastly, the other consideration is how many licenses are available in that state, Mm. aka how competitive is it? That's also regulated by the government. Um, Some states have uh, very high license numbers uh, without caps. Other states have like low license caps. So if you're in a state that doesn't have much competition, you know, kind of regardless of the regulations, if there's only so many options available, you're going to have more options than in a, uh, or I should say more exposure to your potential customers than in a state where maybe the regulations are a little more loose, but it's really, really competitive. Mm. So um, I guess long way of saying a little bit easier said than done to answer like what's the hardest and what's the easiest because there are some other factors and um, it so it kind of just depends.
1: Cool, cool. Uh, as someone who just you know passively you know consumes the marketing for it um, for for cannabis, I've noticed that pretty much the messaging relies on a very kind of simple: this is for wellness message. Just at least, you know, I'm in California, so that's, that's what I see. I don't see something like I'd see a beer commercial where you'd see a bunch of guys hanging out watching a football game and enjoying a beer. Um, you don't see that type of thing with cannabis, even though I think that that's something that, you know, uh, friends of mine or people I know that, that I see, you know, people um, using it in a social manner. Is, is it because of the regulations that we don't see that type of ads or do they not connect with people?
0: Well, there's two parts to that. Cannabis is unlike any other product in that it has such a wide range of uses. Mm -hmm. Um, When we talk about it from a business perspective, it's often compared to CPG products um, or commodities. But I have yet to find any CPG product that has this sort of extreme medical use to it, Mm -hmm. but also can be used in this recreational adult use scenario. You know, the cannabis flower can be used by very sick patients to treat side effects from chemo, um, to treat really serious chronic pain, to treat seizures. They're sort of the heavy medical user. And then on the, you know, full swing on the other side of the spectrum would be more of that heavy um, kind of adult use recreational consumer. But there's a lot that falls in between in wellness, um, helping you sleep, helping you relax, maybe just allowing you to be a little bit more social or have a good time when you're out. Um, so the, the fact is that it's not as easy as comparing it to, Oh, it is just like alcohol or it is just like, you know, um, these other products because it has a much wider use case scenario, but also in terms of messaging, one of the clearest regs that is consistent is you cannot make health claims. So when we're talking about that medical side and what it can do, um, it, it cannot be marketed or advertised the way perhaps an FDA ph- uh, approved pharmaceutical product could be, even if it is having, you know, quote unquote, like similar effects as far mm-hmm. as medical purpose and, you know, here's how you treat it. Um, you just cannot make health claims. That's just part of how the, the regulations are. So a lot of that messaging is kind of falling in that middle, but we all are also seeing based on, um, data and reports from consumers, That that is also why they're using it, is in that spectrum of general wellness and improving outcomes. Um, so I think brands are sort of meeting the consumer uh, where they're at with it.
1: Okay. I guess it's also the point that those who are using it for recreational kind of adult use, they already know that anyway, <laughs> right?
0: Yes. And I think it is also you know again not as black and white as like hey i'm you know consuming like purely to have fun and i think as you learn about cannabis and as you become a more experienced user like i'm i'm a i'm a perfect example of this like i've been in the industry for years i've been consuming for years so i've had a lot of trial and error with different products and different form factors that i can sort of tailor my experience to what i need so if i need a um gummy to help me sleep at night specifically for that, I will buy a product for that use case. If I need to solve a problem with my business and I need to think a little more creatively, I know about what strains will will get me there to sort of get my mind in that mindset. Um, And if I need something to be a little bit more social, you know, I've I've had enough trial and error to know how to shop for that, both in terms of um, the product and the form factor. So if you were to market to me, it's not Lisa uses it just for this way. It's Lisa uses different products in different scenarios because she's become a more educated consumer through simple trial and error and over time. So I would say I've, you know, I use it in sort of all aspects of the spectrum where there's a a kind of black and white medical case. Um, In some instances, I use it for there's that wellness. And then there is sort of that adult use um, consumer. But I think what can be confusing is if you, it is just not this like, one equal, you know, like A equals B in this case. There, there's a bit more of those shades of gray and nuance that we're seeing um, happen with consumers over time.
1: Wow. Okay. Um, getting back a little bit earlier, you were talking. We were talking about, uh, you know, selling it as a wellness product. And is there any uh, push going on? To be able to make medical claims, because obviously there's been a lot of studies and there's a wealth of research about the benefits of cannabis, and I think it does a disservice to people out there who may be suffering with health issues to not be able to get a clear health message on this. At least, you know, from the marketing side, um, I think it's you know, it's a, a detriment to the population in general if they can't hear the truth about a product that may help them.
0: Yes. So, I mean, we, uh, this whole industry stands on the giants of, uh, the medical movement, which, you know, largely originated in California and San Francisco, you know, decades ago where cannabis was being used, um, by, uh, largely the, the gay community who advocated for it as a treatment to, for AIDS and mm-hmm. what was going on. And if you look at the history of the first laws that were passed in the first medical law or the, the first laws that were passed period around decriminalization and towards this framework, you know, it started there in San Francisco. And that was a very clear um, health-based outcome. And then we've seen that expand and grow over time. I don't know if you remember in 2013, 2014, Sanjay Gupta did that documentary on Charlotte Figgy in Colorado, who was a six-year-old, six-year-old oh, who had severe yeah. seizures, mm-hmm. um, who used cannabis oil to treatment with astounding results. Um, so all of it, this has really has built on the advocacy of patients and quite sick patients if that, and I, I do agree that I think some of that has been lost as the, you know, what they call adult use industry has, um, matured and played out. And by the way, I, I've worked in a commercial grow. These are the same plants. Like it's the same plants. It's Mm. just, some have a tag that says medical, Others have a tag that say adult use, but it is the same plants. There, <laughs> there isn't a really distinct difference outside of how they are labeled, um, d- generally speaking. So um, I do think there there does need to be some more conversation about that. To answer your question about have I seen a push for that? Not quite directly, but it all really comes down to you know anything medical is regulated by the federal government, which means the federal government needs to decide how they feel and stand about this. And then, you know, how are they going to move forward as far as the creation of these medically, you know, branded um, products and what that looks like moving forward. But as a currently as it stands, a schedule one controlled substance means it has absolutely no medicinal value at all. And that is currently where cannabis stands. So the FDA can't quite come in and say, okay, here's how we're going to address this moving forward until they address the category as a whole. So from that perspective, um, we've got quite a, a ways to go, but there's only so much that can be done until the, you know, the federal government really recognizes what's, what's going on.
1: How are some businesses missing the point when it comes to marketing cannabis products?
0: I think not like I mentioned in the beginning, I really truly believe that good marketing is good storytelling. You know, you want a good strategy, you want to put out content in the right mediums, but what is the the message ultimately, and is it going to resonate with your customer so much so that it's going to take, you know, encourage them to take an action and buy your products? Um, so I I find storytelling so key and so crucial to it because if the story isn't there or the message isn't there and it falls flat. You know, folks buy based on uh, you know emotions to a sense, and and Mm -hmm. what they resonate with, and what they think is going to work for them, and what they like. Um, So I think, and I've met one thing that I love about this space that I did not see. I I used to work in um, technology with software startups before, and one of the big differences with cannabis is, I so many entrepreneurs I talk with in this space have amazing stories. About hey my my mother had cancer and used cannabis and it changed her life or my sibling had you know a, a dependency on on uh, maybe opioids or alcohol and I saw how implementation of cannabis led to improved outcomes um, or maybe they had a, a, a run in with the justice system that was unfair and so there's you know a whole range of stories I'm I'm not going to say there's one but there's so many that are driven just by these amazing real life experiences that really just changed the way they viewed this product, uh, the systems that you know created this environment and a deep desire to create a change and put out good products that they would have wanted or they would have needed. Um, and so I think telling their story more and understanding what it is, is really foundational because people do build an emotional connection with brands and that's what allows them to remain loyal and buy over time. That being said, you can't have a bad product, right? You've got to have a good product at its core, um, which not everyone does. So you know, marketing only helps if you've got that that good product that does what it says. But if assuming you've got that, really understanding your story and your messaging, and it doesn't always have to be this big, kind of lofty inspirational thing, but defining it, and being able to know what are you saying and how are you telling it is going to allow you to be more effective in connecting with your customers and being more effective strategically in marketing. So that's one side. And then the other side is education. This That aspect changes has changed really quickly. If you had asked me five or six years ago, the the public did not have, you know, the public is learning along with the industry. Um, but them understanding again, what is the, the product? What does it do? How does it match up against what you were told in the past? Um, what can it do for you? That educational aspect does have to be there because you can have all the, the shiny marketing all in the world. But if folks still believe it's, um, you know, going to be harmful or, or some of these things, you know, that's going to fall flat. So it's sort of balancing, I think, the education and the, the storytelling, which is really just being thoughtful about your messaging, which mm. any Company in any industry needs to do regardless.
1: Right. Um, so, what are you looking forward to for the cannabis industry in 2023? I know it's something that's been growing exponentially. Uh, do you have any idea of what this year is going to look like?
0: Oh, I wish. I keep think everyone keeps thinking that we do, and then we get surprised. Um, you know, everyone asks every year, when is legalization going to happen? And we've been through very different you know, controls of Congress as far as, uh, you know, who's in charge and whatnot. And we haven't seen real momentum as far as change on a federal level. And I think that needs to happen for things to progress forward in a big way. Um, But I do think one thing that happened with the pandemic that we're still seeing played out is that cannabis was declared essential, Um, so, you know, back in spring 2020, when everything was shutting down, dispensaries were allowed to stay open because they were considered essential. There, there were patients with med cards. There were people who needed, you know, their medicine and these products. And that I think was a game changer around the national conversation about what role does cannabis play? And then, and, you know, what does that mean? Um, and one thing we've been seeing too, in, uh, various consumer studies is more, Conscious consumption around wellness, particularly relaxation, um, anti-anxiety purposes, assisting with sleep. And that has played out, I think, partly because of more uh, advanced consumer knowledge and education. But also we've seen data that shows, you know, as the pandemic happened, overall mental health in this country declined and people Mm. were needing something. Um, You know, we were at home for years and they were needing something to, to address that. And that was crazy. And, um, so, and a lot of folks I think did turn to cannabis in that and were able to experiment in ways that they hadn't before. So I think we're still seeing that play out and what that means, but I do think that was an exciting development that will have some future implications. Um, but I am looking forward to movement, uh, and change on the federal level. Will it be in 2023? I don't know. Um, but when it comes, I'll be very excited.
1: Last question, because we're kind of coming to the end. I, I, by the way, I think this has been fascinating, Lisa, because uh, just the just the idea of you're trying to market something that has so many uses. Uh, I think it's it makes such an interesting challenge to a marketing mind. Um, but now that, you know, cannabis has kind of opened the door and it looks like there's more, um, kind of, I guess what, what you would call, you know, schedule one products looks like coming behind it, uh, such as like psilocybin, you know, ma- magic mushrooms. Is there any overlap between the cannabis industry and the now kind of growing psilocybin industry? Are they, is it something that's working together or are those kind of two separate, uh, industries?
0: They're definitely working together in the sense that we're talking about plant based natural medicines and things that can be grown at home and were previously banned, that we're now trying to figure out how to move forward where they are not decriminalized. Um, they are definitely different, you know, plants inherently and, and different substances um, that have different implications as far as uh, the, the benefits, but both have been very understudied, but the preliminary studies that are coming out about using, uh, psilocybin to treat, you know, PTSD and other mental health conditions, as well as cannabis have been promising that I think there's a lot to be excited about and more research that needs to be done to better understand, which will, I think, continue to take decades. Um, but just means that the door is open to a really exciting future if we can kind of get the the politics and the government to to work with the science and work with you know the the public's perception of the way things have been and the way things can be in the future. So I think they ultimately um, are complementary to each other, but they are definitely different products.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, Lisa, I'd like to thank you so much for sharing with us and. There was so much great information here that I'd love to have you come back on sometime in the future and uh, tell us even more about uh, this fascinating industry. Uh, Is there anywhere that you'd like people to possibly follow you on social media or be able to keep up with what you're doing?
0: Yeah, so uh, thank you. Um, Our website is thecannabismarketingassociation.com. Our handle is at Canamarketing. Um, and you can find me at Lee Buff, L-A-B-U-F-F, um, on, uh, Twitter and Instagram as well. Uh, but yeah, check us out. We'd love to connect with folks and, um, learn, teach them more about canvas. All right.
1: Well, thank you very much, Lisa. And, uh, hopefully we can talk to you again sometime soon.
0: I would love to anytime. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Todd. PR 360 was produced by Todd Perry in partnership with Global Results Communications. Be sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review wherever you get podcasts. Follow GRC on all socials at Global Results. Follow Todd on Twitter at Todd A. Perry. That's Todd with one D. Talk to you next week.